Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Hi, it's great to be back with you, if only digitally at the moment. I am in fact starting a new series today, which is pretty exciting stuff. I can hear you crying in the background. (laughs) Tears of joy, not tears of, oh no, he's starting something new. But it's been another crazy week, hasn't it? Lockdown three seems to be getting stronger as we go on. A new year, homeschooling, part, whatever it is. Some of you are in post-traumatic stress from having gone back in and realising, I wasn't very good at this the first time round. I'm not sure how I feel about this third time round. We've also had all that's going on in America, which I've been following on the news, as many of you will have been as well. And just feeling disturbed watching it. The incredible division that's going on, the challenge to democracy. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised, but it is also troubling at the same time. So we've got all of that on the one side, and then we've got vaccine hope on the other. Jen, my wife, has just been vaccinated on Thursday, which is incredible. She's got a bit of a sore arm. So that feels like moving forwards, the army being brought in to help with that. So that's the backdrop to our week. But I think as Christians, we can often feel so helpless, can't we? It's like, oh, you know, people, let's take aside the faith bit. But as people, we can feel helpless. But actually, as Christians, we have this opportunity to push in in prayer. We've been given this great gift of prayer coming before the Father, asking him to move, asking his power to come, to break in. And so during this month, we're asking the church to join us by praying. There's a number of prayer meetings that happen in the sites already, but also on a Sunday evening at 7.30, going to be gathering together just for 45 minutes, just to see God's face and say, you've got to move, you've got to break in. Come, Lord Jesus, come and move. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel deeply stirred, almost compelled that can't not do it and there's one thing praying by yourself in your own time but there is something about meeting together with God's people and interceding together and being part of that so yeah love it if you could come to that now in the middle of all this swirl that's going on as I said I'm starting a new series for the next five weeks which I've called shaped by the word can you you can imagine that said in different ways can't you shaped by the word It's like, oh, shaped by the word, Uh, shaped by the scriptures, shaped by the Bible. And this is really following on from our Live Like Jesus series um, that we want. We were going to go through various practices over the next number of years. And so this is the this is our first practice, the scriptures, because it's so foundational to who we are as the people of God. So how do we let the scriptures shape and form and mould us. This this book, the, the Bible, is so central to our faith. But I wonder what relationship you have with it. And 
I've used an interesting word there, relationship. What relationship do you have with the scriptures? And it makes you stop a little bit and think, well, what, what do I think about that? It, it could be one of utter joy and love. It's like, yes, I love the scriptures. I'm immersed in them. They are my guide for life. They, they are life. They bring life. Guys, everything, can't wait to read it. That might be your experience. For, for others, maybe you've got some trust issues with it. And you might read some parts of scripture, particularly the Old Testament, and go, wow, like, how do we deal with that? And maybe you prefer some of the stuff in Jesus's words and some of the stuff in the New Testament. So there might be a slight unease there. Or maybe you really struggle to engage with the scriptures and you find them tough to read and you want to love it more. It's like, I know I probably should love this more, but actually I've never really been able to get into it in order to feel like I'm really feeding on God's word. So what words would you use to describe your relationship with the Bible? How central and pivotal is it to your life? If I was to take away, go around your house, take away all the Bibles on the bookshelves, take away all the apps that would have the scriptures on it, literally take it, get rid of it from your life, how would you feel? What would that mean to you? How would that affect your week, your life? What would it change? I'm reminded of Brother Andrew, uh, a book I absolutely love called God Smuggler. And in it, uh, Brother Andrew tells this incredible story of smuggling Bibles into communist countries at the height of the Cold War. And there's just these miraculous stories where he turns up at this checkpoint and it's got the, the car's got hundreds, this old banger's got hundreds and hundreds of Bibles in it. And the guards look at it and they don't see the Bibles and they can pass. But for Brother Andrew, the scriptures are so, so pivotal. He was willing to put his life on the line for this word to in order to distribute it to people. Now, there are so many places that I could start this series and start this talk as, as we come to look at the Bible. I could start with all the problems, you know, or, not, or maybe even the questions that people have when coming to the Bible itself. Some of the strange moments that we might find in, in its pages. Um, how does Jacob not recognise Leah on his wedding night? Or what about the Nephilim in chapter six? I mean, you can pick so many of these little questions. There are questions about polygamy or the or miracles throughout the scriptures or the, the Old Testament concepts of holy war, how the Bible views slavery, slavery, sorry, all of which are good questions that many of us might have spent years thinking about. And the, and the truth is we can spend an huge amounts of time looking at this. And I do think it's really important to wrestle and grapple with different sections of scripture. I certainly have. While I was at university studying theology when I was about 19, I asked many of these questions and had a period of time when I was deeply unsettled about how the Bible worked. And, you know, if you were to talk about what my relationship was, was with the scriptures right then, it would have been unsettled. So I've got questions and I'm not, how, how much do I trust this? How much can I build my life on this, stand on this book? What is it? And so my relationship would have been in uneasy during that time. But actually, I'm in a, a completely different place now. I, I love the scriptures. I think they're the very words of life. They're beautiful. But there is 
there is a time and place for wrestles and grapples. But the problem with starting a series here is that we start off with almost the heart posture of us as judge and jury. And we put the, the Bible on trial and we look at it and see the evidence of whether it's guilty or innocent. And while some of you need to go through this process, and it's an important process, to come to trust the Bible, it's not the heart posture of an apprentice of Jesus towards the Bible. So we could start with the problems. Or another place we could start is with the claims that the Bible makes about itself. Uh, this is good and important, but not particularly helpful if you don't already trust the Bible because it's circular reasoning. We don't trust the Bible because it claims to be the scripture any more than, the, than we would trust the Quran or the Book of Mormon because of what it says about itself. But even for those of us who've come to trust the scriptures, that we love them, that we're immersed in them, you could say about us, you know, we're all in with it. It has us in a heart posture that's not quite right when the Bible is the subject and we're the object and we think about it with our mind and we try and control it. And many people have tried to do that over the, the years. That was my experience of being around people, uh, academics. Well, I, we were studying it at university. Lovely people, but the Bible was out there. It wasn't, didn't feel like God's love story. So I propose that we start our series from a different place, not from all the problems that we have, not even looking at kind of the inherent, what the Bible says about itself, but with Jesus. After all, Jesus was a rabbi, which means teacher, and he taught the scriptures of his day. He read the Bible, he taught the Bible, he interpreted the Bible, he took issue with other people's interpretations of the Bible. His mind was, um, an imagination was saturated by and immersed in its story. He'd likely memorised all of it, the whole of the Old Testament. Jesus' identity and his vision of life in the kingdom was all based on the scriptures and his view of the scriptures was incredibly high. Andrew Wilson, who's written a great book, says, ultimately, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you'll be keen to believe what the Bible says, because that's what Jesus did. And throughout all my wrestles and grapples with the scriptures, I found this such a helpful viewpoint. So I want to start in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20 today. It's not quite at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's quite near the start. And it says this. This is Jesus. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Luther puts it another way. He basically says the same thing as Jesus here. He says, a man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes. But the word of God is greater than heaven and earth. Yeah, greater than death and hell for it forms part of the power of God and endures everlastingly. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a remarkable 
statement about the Bible, about the law and the prophets. And he tells us three things that I want to kind of draw out from this passage. And these three things help us to personally know the God who speaks. These three things. The Bible's the word of God. He tells that, us that in verse 18. Jesus himself is the point of God's word. And then finally, the function of the Bible is to shape us, not just to be believed and enjoyed, but to come into the centre of our lives and to change us. So three points. The nature of the Bible is the word of God. The point of the Bible is Jesus. And the function of the Bible is to shape you and to have it come inside you and transform you forever. So verse 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament scripture. Now, keep this in mind, because a lot of people have no trouble with the New Testament. It's the Old Testament part of the Bible that people have the most trouble with. So what is Jesus's attitude towards the law and the prophets? Well, he says, not a jot or a tittle. That's how the old King James puts it. Not a jot or a tittle will pass away until it's all accomplished. That's about as strong a statement about the Bible as you can make, really. Jesus doesn't go as far as to say that every single part of a letter of the Bible is true. He goes even further and says every part of the Bible will come true. He doesn't just say it's true. He says it will all be accomplished. You see, it's one thing to say the Bible's true. Jesus is going beyond that. It's not just that it's true. It means in this way that God is running the universe. Nothing in this book will not be accomplished. That means every prophecy will come true. But more than that, every promise will be fulfilled. Every single command in here will someday be obeyed. Because someday every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not just true, it will come true. Every jot and tittle, Jesus says, every single letter and piece of a letter cannot be broken. Jesus says elsewhere, the scripture cannot be broken. It cannot be falsified. It cannot be written off. It cannot be discounted. Not one part of it, because every part of it is the word of God. And on the word of God and the base of it, the basis of it, Jesus said, God is running the universe and it will all be accomplished. So Jesus' attitude towards scripture is self-evident throughout it. If you read the Bible, you won't see one or two places where Jesus says, now let me tell you about my doctrine of scripture. Instead, his doctrine of scripture is found on almost every page. When Jesus was down and dying, when he was on the cross under incredible duress, incredible stress, what does he do? He quotes scripture. He's quoting Psalm 22. He's quoting Isaiah 50. He quotes the Old Testament constantly. He faces every joy, every conflict. He faces every danger, every temptation, quoting the word of God. His view of the word of God is remarkable. In Matthew 19, he says this, the creator said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So he says that in Matthew 19. So he says the creator said that. But go back to Genesis 2 and see who said it and you will see it's the writer of Genesis. It was Moses who said it. 
And yet Jesus can say, if Moses wrote it, God said it. The doctrine of the scripture that Jesus held on to and all of his disciples was, if scripture says it, God says it. Whatever scripture says, God says. So if Jesus had this view of scripture, what must he believe about the word of God? He must believe that it's a completely divine book, that it doesn't have any blemish to it, that it's a book of tremendous power and that it's completely sufficient to get anything done. It was central in his life. So then we come back to the question, well, but what relationship do you have with the scriptures? Do you believe the view that I just said, that the word of God is truth undiluted, absolutely clear, absolutely perfect, without any error, a a truth that checks internally consistently, a truth that checks throughout, a truth that's totally trustworthy? What do you think? Don't argue with me, argue with Jesus. That's what Jesus thought about the scriptures. What Jesus believed about the Bible wasn't a peripheral thing, but central to his life and to his understanding of the universe and his understanding of God and the way in which he dealt with all of his life. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount, a voice came out of heaven. We see this in Matthew 17 verse 5. Just these beautiful words. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine God saying that. Listen to him. God says, this is my son. Do you want to love my son? Hear him. Listen to his word. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will not. That means the word of God is absolute. Compared to the mountains, the word of God is absolute. The mountains are temporary compared to God's word. Jesus loved the scriptures. He taught the scriptures. He stood on the scriptures. But secondly, Jesus goes even further than that. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, which is, again, a phrase which means the whole Old Testament. He says, I didn't come to get rid of them. I came to fulfil them. Well, what does that mean? Well, a couple of things at least. It means first that Jesus is the point of the Bible. So important because the book of the Bible might look quite confusing. I know that because I teach it week in, week out. I'm trying to teach it to my children as well right now. You know, sitting down with them, do you know what? There's 66 different books. There's there's two testaments. There's major prophets and minor prophets and apocalyptic literature. Maybe don't use that word with them. Wisdom, historical, letters to the churches, different genres, different styles, different authors under God. It's fabulous, isn't it? 66 different books. It's like anything when you don't know the jargon, you don't know the terms, you're like, I don't, where do I start? Where do I go with this? It looks like a lot of different letters and histories and a jumble of different things. And Jesus says, no, it's a story with a theme. It's all about me. It's all about me. If you're someone who's finds it difficult, the scriptures, and you're just trying to work out, you're not even, you find it difficult, but you, how does it all hold together? Then Alice is going to be holding a Bible overview um, class in in some of the evenings. So make sure that you sign up to that. I think that'll be in February. So watch out for that. But there's, there's a place, for example, where Jesus meets two disciples on the road on the way to Emmaus after he's been resurrected. And he meets these disciples and they don't know that it's Jesus. They're clueless about who he is. 
and they're talking about how sad they are about, you know, we thought Jesus was going to be amazing and he's gone and what are we going to do now? And at one point he turns around to them and he goes, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them and said what's in the scriptures concerning himself. So he goes through bit by bit and he's like, this is talking about me. This is talking about me. This is talking about me. It's all about me. And not in an arrogant way, but it's like, the, uh, this is, I am the fulfillment of this. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of Rings, says the story of the gospel, how the king has come back, is the one story behind all of the stories that you've ever loved. It's the one story that's true. It's the story. And if you don't believe it, you're going to despair because all of the other great stories and songs in the history of the world cannot console you like this one. This is the meta-narrative. This is God's big story. Above everything else, this is the one story that we can actually get into. All the other stories are wonderful, as they are stories of King Arthur and Robin Hood. All of the best stories, all of the best films are exciting, but they're out there. They're somebody else's story. This is the one story, the greatest adventure of all, that we actually are in, that we can become a part of. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. They're about me. And if you believe him, then it's also about you. It's about him. He's the central character, but we're also in there as well. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. So when Jesus is saying that, what's he saying? Of course, every human being needs to fulfill the law and we cannot fulfill the law. So how can we go to heaven? That's one of the premises back in the Bible. And Jesus says, I fulfilled the law for you. In fact, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees are worried by now. And you can see this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. So you've got the Beatitudes where he goes through those right in the beginning of Matthew 5. And Jesus has told everybody that the kingdom is theirs if they're poor in spirit, if they mourn over their sin, if they submit to God meekly. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is a gift that you can get. And by now the Pharisees are saying, well, what about the law? What about the law? What about the law? They, they kind of had a big thing about the law. And Jesus turned around and says, my friends, I take the law more seriously than you do because I came and I fulfilled the law perfectly. So anybody who believes in me can have perfect righteousness, right standing before God and perfect record in their account. And God will accept them on the basis of what I have done for them. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and he fulfills the law for us. Jesus is the centre of the story. It all leads to him. And then the last thing, it's not enough to just to say, I believe the Bible is the word of God and I see the Bible's all about Jesus and how he fulfilled the law. It's more than that, is that we get to practice. Jesus also says this, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices there that word and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven whoever practices and teaches them will be considered the greatest that means to be shaped by the scriptures we have to search the scriptures and we have to let the scriptures search us we search them ourselves and they search our hearts it takes time next week alice is going to pick up on this very theme being shaped by the scriptures. 
So just in finishing, when I talked about your relationship with the scriptures, are you searching the scripture? It's one thing to say, yes, I guess I have to believe what Jesus says, but does the scripture have functional authority in your life, not just intellectual authority? What does it actually do? What does it actually change? Do you really say, I, I have to know this, this book, because God is running the universe and on the basis of it, every jot and every tittle, I've got to get it into my life. Do you search the scriptures because through it you'll hear the voice of God? John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. That through it we see the fingerprints of God. We see this beautiful story of God. Have you ever heard it really, really speaking to you when it's almost like the scriptures jump out of the page? Jesus on the road to Emmaus began to speak to the disciples and he shows himself there in the scriptures. And after he vanishes, they turn and they say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the word of God? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Have you experienced that? Have you sensed God speaking to you in the word and sensed his finger on you? over you, bringing revelation, bringing correction, changing our mindsets, confronting maybe our lack of generosity or compassion. This is where the, the scriptures search us. So we search them, but they search our hearts. There's a heart work going on in them. You're reading the word of God and up comes this hand. What, what's, what's this thing in your life? And God begins to point something out. It's like, I, I want you to look at this. It confronts us. Sometimes the scriptures offend us. We read them and we're like, oh, what am I going to do with that? But they are the most incredible gift that we've been given. And we need to not take them lightly. You know, I, again, I come back to that image of Brother Lawrence and the lengths that he would go to to get the scriptures into people's hands. We have the scriptures in front of us. They're all around our houses. They're there in front of us. They're the very words of life. Jesus saw the power in the word of God, that he quoted them, that he interpreted them, that he taught them. He loved them. He loved the scriptures. And I think that's, there's that invitation for us as Christians to love the scriptures. It's not about loving the scripture. It's about loving Jesus who's behind, hearing his voice. So it's more than just being about the book, but, but they show us God. They lead to God. And so as we open this series, I want to finish with this analogy that when I think about the scriptures, this is what happens. When we, re when we open them up and we read them and we begin to engage with them, it's like this truth drip that goes up into us. You know, in the same way, when you eat healthily, you're putting goodness into your soul. When we read the scriptures, what happens is the truth of God just keeps going in bit by bit. It's like a drip that goes in bit by bit by bit, moment by moment. And it begins to change us because the truth of God comes against all of the rubbish that we find in society, all of the lies. And this truth of God keeps going in. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. This is how I've called you to live. This is how I've called you to follow me. There's an invitation. The, the words of scripture would set our hearts on fire. That we would see Jesus in all of his beauty and his majesty. And come before the king and just be like, God, you are worthy. Let me pray in finishing. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you fulfilled the law, that you are the fulfillment of the law. And that we get to be a part in this story 
this meta-narrative, this beautiful sweeping story that you're the king of. And Lord, I, I want to pray that some of the things that have got in the way of us loving the scriptures and therefore loving you, that you just break them down, that we will be shaped by the word, shaped by your words, shaped by the voice of God. Jesus, we want to com- be a community that stand on your word. So thank you for it. Keep changing us in Jesus' name. Amen.